Recorded by The Way in Brea. Lead pastor Von Jarrett has a heart for the people at The Way and a desire to reach the lost. The Way's production department prays this message is a blessing to you and that you find yourself closer to God through application. going to be one of those days. Oh, man. You guys ever just need a worship song? been listening to that song for a couple of weeks now. It's been a rough couple of weeks. It says, uh, no fire can burn me. No battle can turn me. No mountain can stop me because you hold my hand. Now I'm walking in your victory because your power is within me. No giant can defeat me because you hold my hand. We ever need a reminder that his power is within us, that he's holding our hands, he's, he's in us, and he holds our hand, he walks with us, he guides us. David says he would walk through the valley of a shadow of death, but he wouldn't have to fear any evil because he knew the Lord was with him. Man, my prayer, you know, a lot of times, <clears throat> I get to have this walk with God, I get to have this time with God. Like I said, even about this song, and I guess because I'm the pastor, I get to bring you guys into that. I just tell them to play it. <laughs> but I'm just reminded that I know I'm not the only one that feels like maybe in this season there's been a fire or a battle or a mountain. That there's been a giant in your life. But man, even when we can't see him, he's with us. I'm going to try my best to be as conscious of your guys' time this morning as possible. I thought about it even before playing this song today. It's like seven, eight minutes. But uh, 
I'm just a little bit more concerned with what he's doing than maybe what else we have planned today. So we're in a series in the book of Ephesians right now. You guys can go ahead and turn your Bibles there. We've been in uh, chapter 1 and 2 already. We're going into chapter 3 this morning. And Paul's been detailing to the Ephesians what it is that God's been doing in the world. Paul's been telling the Ephesians what it is that, that God is actually doing in them since they put their faith in Jesus. We looked at what Ephesus was in that, that time, uh, this port city, this uh, center of idolatry, the goddess Diana, um, a fertility and uh, lustful sex goddess, and this is a place that a small group of believers are beginning to put their faith in Jesus and trying to work out and walk out their faith. Um, and there's been some amazing descriptions. And then we've looked at some of the stories of people encountering Jesus to, con- to contrast that, right? Like Paul's doing all this teaching and telling us all this stuff that, that uh, the Ephesians need to know and that we need to know. And then we were looking at stories so we could see how does that actually work out in, in our lives and in the real world. Um, in a place like Ephesus, it had to be really important to understand what was happening inside of them, right? They're faced with such a different world. Uh, From arm's reach to as far as they could see, what Paul was writing was so foreign to them, right? Like, they're saying, this is what I actually see. This is what I've seen in the past. This is what I see in the future. And what Paul's telling me is so different. So I can imagine them trying to figure out what they were feeling inside and and what God was doing inside of their lives and how important that was going to be for them to live in the world that they still had to live in. These are some of the things that Paul told them in the first couple of chapters we've seen. Ephesians 1.4 says, Paul says, He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world. In Ephesians 1.7, he says, In Him we have redemption through His blood, through the forgiveness of sins, according to the riches of His grace. In Ephesians 1.13, he says, Having believed, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise, who is the guarantee of your inheritance. Right? These are things they're hearing for the first time. In Ephesians 1.22, it says, He put all things under his feet and gave him to be head over all things to the church. Remember what they're experiencing. Remember what they're living out. Remember the world they live in. Ephesians 2.2 said, You once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience. Ephesians 2.8, for by grace you've been saved through faith that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. Ephesians 2.13, but now in Christ Jesus, you who once were afar off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Ephesians 2.18 says, through him we both have access by one spirit to the Father, Now, therefore, you're no longer strangers and foreigners, but you are fellow citizens. And then finally, Ephesians 2.20 said, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone. He's going through these things with them. He's telling them these, these claims and these truths about Christianity that are so foreign, so amazing, so deep, so powerful. They're hearing it for the first time and they're trying to figure out what does this mean? What's happening to me? And if you could think back for just a moment to when you first got saved, I believe that many of us had those same kind of questions, like, what is happening to me? 
I'm going into this room and all of a sudden I'm saying amen and I don't even know where that came from. <laughs> I'm picking up this book and I'm understanding things. I'm reading things. I'm like, that makes sense to me. I read through Romans and you're like, that's my life. <laughs> They're trying to figure it out and Paul's doing such a good job. So today my hope is that as we look at chapter 3, we can see more truths. We can see more amazing claims um, of our faith. But then we can also close this morning by seeing it in action somewhere else in the scriptures. So if you're there in Ephesians 3, say amen. 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 Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your scriptures. We thank you for the body. We thank you for bringing us into this place this morning. We ask that you would help us, Lord, to have our hearts open, to have our minds open, Lord. As we already said, we came in here with, with mountains, Lord God. We came in here with giants, Lord God. We came in here, Lord, some of us feeling the heat from the flames and the fire, Lord God. Others of us came in here with joy and with excitement, Lord, with testimonies of good things that you've been doing, Lord. But for the time that we have here, we put everything to the side. We focus all of our attention upon you. Jesus, you said that if you be lifted up, you would call all men unto you, Lord God. We just want to lift you up this morning, that we would hear your voice calling us deeper into relationship with you, that we would hear your voice calling us, Lord, to open our eyes and see you for who you are, Lord God. Don't let us leave out of this place the same way that we walked in this morning. We love you, and we thank you in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen, amen, amen. amen. All right. So chapter 3, the chapter is a reminder that this is a a love letter that Paul is writing. Paul is the planter of this church. Paul has been the pastor of this church. And now Paul is a prisoner, and he's writing back to this church because he's like, I can't stop thinking about you. I love you. I know I'm far away from you, but I, I, I long to be with you. That's where this chapter comes from. Say amen if you're with me. So here we go, let's read through it, chapter uh, 3, verse 1, it says, For this reason, I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus for you Gentiles, if indeed you have heard of the dispensation of the grace of God, which was given to me for you, how that by revelation God made known to me the mystery, as I have briefly written already, by which when you read you may understand my knowledge in the mystery of Christ, which in other ages was not made known to the sons of men, as it has now been revealed by the Spirit to his holy apostles and prophets, that the Gentiles should be fellow heirs of the same body and partakers of his promise in Christ through the gospel, of which I became a minister according to the gift of the grace of God given to me by the effective working of his power. To me who am less than the least of all the saints, this grace was given, that I should preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to make all see what is the fellowship of the mystery, which from the beginning of the ages has been hidden in God, who created all things through Jesus Christ, to the intent that now the manifold wisdom of God might be made known by the church to the principalities and powers in the heavenly places, according to the eternal purpose which he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through faith in him. Therefore I ask that you do not lose heart at my tribulations for you, which is your glory. For this reason I bow my knees to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, from whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named, that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with the might with might through his spirit in the inner man, that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the width and length and depth and height to know the love of Christ, which passes knowledge, 
that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think, according to the power that works in us, to him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. Amen. Man, that's a good chapter. Let's jump into it. Back to verse 1. He says, For this reason I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus, for you Gentiles. Paul starts off with, for this reason, that's why we talked about what he said in chapter 1 and chapter 2. In chapter 3, he's saying, because of everything I've told you in chapter 1, because of everything I've told you in chapter 2, for this reason, I am a prisoner of Christ Jesus for you Gentiles. He's Christ's prisoner, but for the Gentiles, for the Ephesians, for the Brayans, for the Lahabrans, for the Fullertonians, <laughs> right? He's saying, I'm Jesus' uh, prisoner, but it's for you. What does that mean? Listen to what Paul, how Paul describes himself in some of the letters he writes. In Philemon, or excuse me, um, in uh, Romans 1, Paul says, Paul, a bondservant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle and separated to the gospel of God. A bondservant is somebody who willingly submits themselves to be someone's slave. Right? It's not like they were bought and, and they just didn't have a choice and they became someone's slave. They say, listen, I want to come underneath your authority. I want to make myself your slave. Paul says, I am a bondservant unto Jesus. I'm called as an apostle. I've been separated for the gospel. In Galatians chapter 2, verse 20, Paul says this, I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. He says, I don't even live anymore. I've died and the life I now have, it's all in Christ. I'm a bondservant to Christ. I had a life and I said, here, Lord, it's all yours now. Do with me as you please. Paul writes to Timothy in 2 Timothy 1.8. He tells Timothy, do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but share with me in the sufferings for the gospel according to the power of God. Can you see the depths of what Paul's trying to communicate to the Ephesians here? When he tells them in verse 1, I, Paul, am the prisoner of Jesus Christ for you. I don't have a life. The only life I have is in Christ. I'm a bondservant. I'm a slave. I am a prisoner unto him. I couldn't get away if I wanted to, and I don't want to. Amen. And it's not just so I can have this amazing relationship with him. It's actually for you. Bound as a prisoner, a bondservant. Jesus made him a slave and a prisoner, but it was for the ministry to these Gentiles, to these Ephesians, and to these other places that Paul would go. Paul says, I wouldn't do anything else with my life. I love you guys, is what he's saying to them. You know what else he's saying? This ain't a hobby. You know what I mean? Like sometimes we look at leaders or we look at pastors or we look at Paul. Paul's like, hey, that's a nice letter that you wrote to me. He's like, this ain't a hobby. Okay. I'm not just writing you something that maybe you should read and maybe you should think about this for a few minutes. No, I've given my whole life to Jesus. I said, do with me what you want. And Jesus said, you are now going to serve this group of people. It's not a game. I didn't choose this chapter this morning. But I'm glad you're here. Pastors, ministry leaders are not living out a, ho a hobby. Amen. 
We are not living out some dream that we had of how we wanted to spend our lives, how we wanted to spend our Saturday nights, how we wanted to spend our two hours before everybody else gets to church. Nobody had that dream. <laughs> what happened was we encountered Christ and he said, here's what you're going to do with the rest of your life. It's not a hobby. Amen. We're bound by Christ. And even when we try to pull back, we're consumed with this feeling of brokenness and emptiness when we get outside the will of God. We're like everybody else. We get broken. We get tired. We get sick. And then when we try to pull back, God's like, are you my slave? Are you my servant? Are you, did you really commit to me or not? Because if you don't want to do this, like, you ask me if you could be used. <laughs> I told you I saved you. And then you got all excited and said, use me, Lord. <laughs> Lately, those are the thoughts that have been going through my heart. You guys are going to hear a lot of that. I'm sorry. But it's like... Do people think it's a hobby? Listen to what Paul says. Paul says this in Philippians chapter 1, verse 21. For me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. Does that sound like a hobby? He's saying to live is to be broken and to live a life that is fully sacrificed. That's what it means to, when he says to live is Christ. He says, to, for me to live, it's like every day I'm being broken. Every day I'm being scourged. Every day I'm bleeding for people. And if I were to die, that would be a huge gain for me. This isn't somebody doing a hobby. This is somebody saying, listen, if, if, if I keep doing this, it's hurtful. However, if I were to die, I would be vic victorious. I get to go to heaven. I get to live in eternity. No more pain, no more sorrow. The rest of this verse that he says, to live is Christ, to die is gain. He says, if I live on in the flesh... This will mean fruit from my labor. Yet what shall I choose? I cannot tell, for I'm hard-pressed between the two. Having a desire to depart and be with Christ is far better. Yeah. Nevertheless, to remain in the flesh is more needful for you. And being confident of this, I know that I shall remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy and faith. Paul says, I would much rather go to heaven. I hate doing what I got to do. It's painful. He says, but, but if I stay, it's going to help people. It's going to help the Ephesians. You guys are going to get tired. You're going to get sick. You're going to doubt your faith, and i got to be there to help you. Amen. Paul says, so I know what I'm going to do. I'm going to labor. I'm going to write letters from prison. <laughs> First one didn't seem like it was all that, but it is. <laughs> Paul says, for this reason, I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus for you Gentiles. Man, I hope we know what that means, yes. to be a, a prisoner of Christ for other people. Yes. No matter what they do, you, you have to focus your eyes on Jesus and say, you, you told me to do this for a reason, Lord. I'm sitting in, remember John the Baptist? He's like, listen, I've been out here preaching. I've been out here baptizing. I baptized you, Jesus. And you got me sitting in this prison. Like, are you real? Is this really what you called me for? Jesus says, don't worry, he'll be all right. Gets his head chopped off. <laughs> to live is Christ. To die is gain. Verse 2, 
He tells the Ephesians, if indeed you have heard the dispensation of the grace of God, which is given to me for you, how that by revelation, God made known to me the mystery, as I have briefly written already, by which when you read, you may understand my knowledge in the mystery of Christ. Paul's not playing around. This is awesome. He's basically saying to the church in Ephesus, can you see what God has done in me and in revealed to me for you? He's writing a letter and he's saying, have you read it yet? Have you gotten through chapter one and chapter two? Can't you see what God is doing in me for you? I feel like it's almost a joke. He says, I've written briefly about it. It's some of the like weightiest stuff that's ever been written is Ephesians chapter one and chapter two about what it means to be in Christ and what it means to have Christ in you. He says, hey, I wrote a little bit about it. (laughs) Can't you see? How many of you this morning, don't raise your hands, but you believe that God is still speaking through men and women, the wondrous mysteries of the kingdom of heaven. If you don't, then I don't understand why you go to church. I don't understand why you go to men's events. I don't understand why you go to women's events. Because if, if God's not speaking through people, then why are you listening? Amen. In my life since getting saved, on October 22nd, 2004, God has consistently spoken to me through men and women of God. To reveal his kingdom to me, to teach me the truths of the faith, to show me that he's alive and active and working through people. On a consistent basis. If that ever stops happening, I've got a problem. Amen. If I ever stop believing that that's happening, I've got a problem. And that's what Paul is saying to the church in Ephesus. Can't you see what God is doing through me for you? Paul, Paul's going to give us his credentials real quick. I'm just going to read through this. This is Acts chapter 9. This is how he became a man who hears from God. Right? Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, he went to the high priest and he asked letters from him to the synagogue of Damascus so that if he found any who were of the way, say the way, way. say the the way, if he found any who were of the way, whether men or women, that he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. As he journeyed, he came near Damascus. Suddenly a light shone around him from heaven. He fell to the ground and he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, who are you, Lord? The Lord said, I am Jesus whom you're persecuting. It's hard for you to kick against the goads. So he trembling and astonished said, Lord, what do you want me to do? The Lord said to him, arise, go into the city and you'll be told what you must do. And the men who journeyed with him stood speechless, hearing a voice, but seeing no one. Then Saul arose from the ground and when his eyes were opened, he saw no one. So they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus. He was three days without sight, and he neither ate nor drank. Now there was a certain disciple at Damascus named Ananias. And to him the Lord said in a vision, Ananias. He said, Here I am, Lord. So the Lord said to him, Arise, go to the street called Straight, inquire at the house of Judas for one called Saul of Tarsus. For behold, he's praying. And in a vision he's seen a man named Ananias coming in and putting his hand on him so that he might receive his sight. Then Ananias answered, Lord, I've heard from many about this man, how much harm he's done to your saints in Jerusalem. And here he has authority from the chief priest to bind all who call on your name. But the Lord said to Ananias, go, 
For he is a chosen vessel of mine to bear my name before Gentiles, kings, and the children of Israel. For I will show him how many things he must suffer for my name's sake. And Ananias went his way, entered the house, laying his hands on, on him. He said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road as you came, he sent me that you may receive sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately there fell from his eyes something like scales. He received his sight at once and he arose and he was baptized. So when he had received food, he was strengthened and Saul spent some days with the disciples at Damascus. Immediately he preached the Christ in the synagogues, that he is the son of God. Then all who heard were amazed and said, is this not he who destroyed those who called on this name in Jerusalem and has come here for that purpose so that he might bring them bound to the chief priests? But Saul increased all the more in strength and confounded the Jews who dwelt in Damascus, proving that this Jesus is the Christ. Credentials received, (laughs) credentials approved. Paul's writing to the Ephesians, this is who I am. This is how I came to know Jesus. This is the one who's been speaking to me and I'm writing these things down of what he's telling me to tell you. It seems like such a simple verse, doesn't it? Like, hey, guys, I'm Paul. I'm a prisoner of the Lord. I'm a prisoner for you. Hopefully you've been reading some of the things that I wrote to you guys. But if you have, hopefully you can see that I'm hearing from God. What a story this man has of how he became a man that could hear from God. Let's see how this keeps going. Back to Ephesians. I'm going to read from verse 2. He says, If indeed you have heard of the dispensation of the grace of God which was given to me for you, how that by revelation he made known to me the mystery. That revelation is, is Acts that I just read to you. As I've briefly written already, by which when you read, you may understand my knowledge in the mystery of Christ, which in other ages was not made known to the sons of men, as it has now been revealed by the Spirit to his holy apostles and prophets, that the Gentiles should be fellow heirs of the same body and partakers of his promise in Christ through the gospel, of which I became a minister according to the gift of grace of God given to me by the effective working of his power. To me, who am less than all, who am less than the least of all the saints, this grace was given that I should preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. So it's all right here. Paul says it hasn't always been this way. But now in this age, God is revealing his mysteries through his apostles, through his prophets, and they're taking this revelation to the Gentiles. Paul's telling the church in Ephesus, they're just getting saved. They're in the Gentile world. They don't understand the Old Testament, any of that. Paul's telling them, listen, it hasn't always been this way. What I'm telling you guys right now, for ages, people wish they knew this stuff, but now God has decided to reveal it. It's special that God is revealing himself. He's trying to get them to understand. If you look at these words that Paul is saying, it could, it could sound like pride. He's like, don't you know who I am and what I'm giving you? And that it always wasn't this way and you should be so grateful that it's being revealed now and it's being given to you. You know what Paul is? Paul's confident in his calling. Amen. 
Paul is confident in the order that God has established. Right? Paul's not saying, hey, I had this great idea on how we should bring people to faith. Paul's saying, God has said that this is how people are going to come to faith. Paul's not saying, hey, I had this great idea where, where I went up to Jesus and said, hey, I would love to be used this way. Paul's saying, I was on a horse going to kill Christians, and Jesus knocked me off of that horse, and then he said, this is what you're going to do. That's not pride, that's confidence. Listen to what Paul actually says in verse 8. He says, to me, who am less than the least of all the saints, this grace was given. You see the humility there? He's saying, listen, do you know what it means to be the least of all the saints? He's saying, of every Christian that believes in Jesus, I'm the least. You look around the church and you find what you think is the person that barely made it today. <laughs> you know, the person that was like, like, look, you know that person. <laughs> We've all been that person at least one, two Sundays. Come on. Paul says, find that person and I'm lower than them. Find that person that you're talking about all the time that says they ain't going to make it. <laughs> he says, I'm lower than them. Wow. He's, he's saying, I'm the least. So don't think this is pride saying that I deserve to be used this way. God chose to use me this way. I'm not going to argue with God about anything he does, including using me. Amen. That's confidence in God, not pride in himself. Amen. Humility and confidence are not opposites. Humility and pride are opposites. Knowing who you are in Christ and knowing who Christ is in you is a good thing. I know who I am in Jesus, and I can be confident in that. And I know who Jesus is in me, and I can be confident in that. That, that doesn't mean that you're not humble for how you came to be that. And Paul, you would think that he wouldn't have to explain this, but I think he's doing a pretty good job of explaining it. Good Lord. I wish I lived in this day. I wish I was reading the letter and then I would have looked around and everybody like, dang, man, Paul said, homie, don't you know me right now? <laughs> like, is everybody reading it the same way I am? Because I feel like what Paul just said is, you should listen to what I'm telling you because of who I am in Christ and who Christ is in me and how different things are right now in the world than they've ever been before. Verse 9 of Ephesians 3 and he says, and to make all see what is the fellowship of the mystery, which from the beginning of the ages has been hidden in God, who created all things through Jesus Christ, to the intent that now the manifold wisdom of God might be made known by the church to the principalities and powers in the heavenly places, according to the eternal purpose, which he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through faith in him. To me... This is the key to the whole chapter this morning. A lot of times we focus on this boldness that we have and this access we have to God, which is true. Because of Jesus, because of the cross, because you've been washed by the blood, because you're covered in his righteousness, any one of us can go straight to the throne and say, in the name of Jesus, covered by the blood of Jesus, as your son and as your daughter, Lord, would you hear me? That's great. That's amazing. Access is beautiful, right? But that's not really what I think the point is. Paul gives us his credentials. He tells the Ephesians why they should listen to him. 
And then in these verses, he actually tells them what they should listen to. So don't miss it. Verse 10. Ephesians 3.10 says that now, say now. now. Say right now. right now. That now the manifold wisdom of God might be made known by the church to the principalities and powers in the heavenly places. Paul is telling the Ephesians, Paul is telling us this morning that God has decided to use the church to declare to the principalities and powers in heaven and on earth who God is and what he's doing in the world. And what he's going to do as a final act. Think about that. He says, let me tell you who I am. Let me tell you why you should listen. And now, please understand what I'm telling you. God has chosen to use the church to show everybody from eternity past to eternity future who he is, what he's doing, and what he's going to do. He calls this the manifold wisdom of God. Let me give you the definition of manifold. It's a good word. Manifold means marked by diversity or variety. It means a whole that unites or consists of many dip, uh, diverse elements. So it's one, but it's all these diverse elements. It means consisting of or operating many of one kind combined. And it means comprehending or uniting various features. So what is Paul saying? He's saying, so far in, in human existence, God has been doing all of these things. And now he is going to reveal them in such a way that they all come together so that you can see the whole of what he's doing. Why am I the only one excited about this? Could you imagine living your life? Like, I'm one of those people that have OCD. So imagine you were trying to put a puzzle together and you find out that there's like 12 pieces missing. <laughs> if you have OCD, you're gonna go crazy, right? What Paul's saying is, for all of existence, there's been missing pieces. But now, all the pieces are here. And I'm gonna show you how they fit together. Oh my God. Imagine, like we talk about the faith, like it doesn't take much faith when it's all there for you, if you ask me. But imagine if you're Abraham where, where God just says, hey, I'm going to need you to leave everything right now. Pack up your bags and take off. I'll tell you where you're going when you get going. Like there's a lot of missing pieces there. And now he says, here's all the pieces. <laughs> Any language you want. <laughs> and Paul's telling, they didn't have the Bible. Paul is writing this letter to them to tell them the things that we now have at our fingertips. In piecemeal, he's writing to the Ephesians. He's writing to the Romans. But he's telling them, these are all pieces. You're going to see the whole manifold wisdom of God if you just listen, if you just stay the course, if you just remain faithful. Don't get so consumed with what's happening in Ephesus. Listen to what I'm telling you is happening inside of you. Paul says, God is beginning to let us see how all the dots are connected. The cross kind of finishes the picture, right? You get this cross, and what he's saying about the church is when you, when you get the last few dots, oh, okay, there's the cross, last four dots, and then you back up a little bit. And, the, and what he's saying here is that God says that last few dots, what you're supposed to see now is the church. You're like, oh, after the cross, I see it now. And he's going to use the church to change the world and to show the world what he's always been doing. 
And what did he tell them in chapter 1 and chapter 2? He says, you are the church. He says, you are the body of Christ. He says, you're not foreigners, you're citizens. Let's see what he says, Ephesians 3.13. He says, therefore, now that you get all that, therefore, I ask that you do not lose heart at my tribulations for you, which is your glory. Paul's sitting in a prison. And he says, my suffering should remind you of how much I love you and how much God loves you. He says, don't lose heart. He says, Jesus was willing to die for you. And now you have a regular man who's also willing to die for you to know the depth of how much God loves you. Don't lose heart because of that. Don't be discouraged. My suffering should not be a reason for you to reconsider your faith or reconsider my calling. Let me say that again. Imagine Paul saying this. My suffering, the fact that I'm in jail, the fact that I'm in prison, the fact that I've been beaten and scourged, this is not a reason for you to reconsider your faith. Right? Like, oh, I don't know if we should have listened to Paul when he was here. It's not really working out very well for him. (laughs) That's what he's saying. Don't reconsider your faith. Pay attention to what I'm teaching you. He says, also, don't reconsider my calling. The fact that I'm in prison doesn't mean that God didn't call me and knock me off of a horse and teach me things. My suffering is not a reason for you to, to reconsider or lose heart. It should be a reason for you to have glory. It's your glory. It's for you. That means you're special. If God's willing to die for you and men and women are willing to die for you, that means you're special. As a member of a church, I remember feeling that way. When I, would, when I got saved and I would go in and out of church every day and I'm thinking to myself, like, there's only like 12 of us here. But these people must really believe we're a special 12 because they, they keep coming back and they keep preaching and they keep teaching and they keep inviting us out to have lunch. I must have some value. <laughs> and that's what Paul's saying to the whole church in Ephesus. My suffering is not a reason to turn back. It's a reason to say, man, I must be valuable. I'm going to keep going forward. Verse 14, Paul says, For this reason I bow my knees to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, from whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named, that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with might through his spirit in the inner man, that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the width and length and depth and height to know the love of Christ, which passes knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Man, Paul has a purpose. Paul has a plan. Paul is on a mission. Paul jumps right back into this spiritual picture that he's been painting of what it means to be in Christ, what it means to have Christ in you. Listen to what he says. I want you to be strengthened with might through his spirit in the inner man. I told you when we started this, this uh, study through Ephesians that it's a, it's a lot about what's going on inside, right? Not what's going on outside, not the picture of the church, but like really what's going on inside, and that's what Paul says here. I want you to be strengthened in the inner man. David said he strengthened himself. Many of you guys have heard that story where... Um, uh, David's off to battle with all the men. An enemy comes in and takes all the women and children, right? They get back. Everybody wants to stone the leader. Everybody wants to kill David. And it says that David goes off and he strengthens himself. He couldn't go outside. He couldn't find a friend. He couldn't find any support, right? Everybody, he's, all, he's isolated. And God didn't give him supernatural strength. He had to go back and say, you're in me. I have to strengthen myself. 
And this is what Paul is praying for the Ephesians, what Paul's praying for you and I. Yes. Strengthen yourself. Be strengthened in the inner man, in the inner woman. He said that Christ may dwell in your hearts, that you know that he was there, that you'd be rooted and grounded in love. How easy is it to talk bad about people? How easy is it be, to be negative? Don't look at me like you don't know. You did it probably this morning. <laughs> if you didn't do it on Facebook, you saw something and you did it in your mind. Amen. It's so easy to do that. But, but Paul says, I want you to be rooted and grounded in love that the first thought that comes to your mind is how can we help? How can we pray? How can we forgive? How can I not hold on to this bitterness? Paul says there's some inner work that has to go on. And then he says, why? So that you would be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the width and length and depth and height. If the cross was the last few dots to, to be able to see that picture, what, what Paul's talking about here with the width, the length, the depth, and the height, how many of you remember those pictures where like somebody would say, hey, look at this. Do you see the dolphin? Yeah. And you didn't see anything, right? And then you, they said, just go cross-eyed. So you're doing all this to... Like, go cross-eyed, lift one leg up, turn it sideways, get the right light, and then you'll see the picture. And then how many of us lied? I see it. I see it. I, uh, I don't see it. So, so this is what Paul's talking about. Listen, he says, you know, the church, this cross is, is the last few dots. You're, you're doing a connect the dots like our kids are doing upstairs in the four to six class. You connect the dots. But then he says, what I'm writing to you about, this mystery that I'm telling you about, this is that 3D depth, length, height, width. This is something else that you will not see if you don't have the eyes of Christ. If you don't have the heart of Christ. If you're not rooted and grounded in love. You, you can't see it, but I'm telling you how to see it. It's not by going to church and saying, stop asking me for money. It's not by going and saying, I don't really believe 80% of what they're telling me. Well, then go somewhere where you can believe 100% and read for yourself. He's saying, you have to get it. Yeah. And he says, this love of Christ, it passes knowledge. This ain't something that you can think up on your own. This ain't something that you can manifest on your own. This ain't something that you can take piecemeal and try to figure out your own spirituality and religion on your own. This is that heavenly stuff from God for you. And then he ends with some familiar scripture. Verse 20. Now to him who is able to do exceedingly and abundantly above all that we ask or think, according to the power that works in us, to him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. This is one of, another one of our favorite scriptures that isn't about what we usually think it's about. <laughs> This is one like, like Philippians um, uh, 4.13, right? I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And then we read it, and it's, like, it's actually about sacrifice and giving. <laughs> this is the same thing. Like we say, our God can do exceedingly and abundantly above what I can ask or think, so I'm just going to ask for crazy stuff because I know he can do it. That's not what it means. What is he talking about? What he's saying is our God has an ability to allow us to see something that nobody else can see, nobody else has ever heard of, and, and present it to us in a way that will change our lives forever because he can do exceedingly and abundantly above what we can ask or even think. It's not about just asking for crazy stuff. It's about asking him, God, would you show me 
what the church really is? That's the question that we're asking. And, and if we ask that one, he says, I'll do exceedingly and abundantly above what you could ask or imagine. The manifold wisdom about how he's going to use the church to reveal himself, change the world, bring salvation, bring eternity. That's what he wants to, to talk to us about. And if we ask that, he'll do exceedingly and abundantly more than you could ever ask or imagine. If we keep asking to hit the lottery, keep on coming back and tell me if it happened, right? But he can do exceedingly and abundantly above what I even ask or think. Lord, I don't even need 100 million. Just give me 75 million. And I know you can do it because my faith is so strong. That's not what he's talking about. What he's talking about is this is the same Jesus that saw a poor widow with two mites and she put him into the thing. He didn't run up on her and say, don't give, don't give, don't give. He grabbed his disciples and he says, look, treasure's in heaven. She don't care about this stuff. Treasure's in heaven. This is the church. This is what I'm building it on. Be like her. What do I see when I look out at you guys this morning? Nope, I see, I see dynamite. I see dynamite, like sticks of dynamite. Sticks of like, like there's so much potential within each and every one of you that it drives me crazy and it keeps me up at night. Why do I say that? Look what he says here. Verse 20, he's talking about this power that he has, how he can put it on display. He says, it's a power that works in us. Within each and every one of you, there is a power. That's what he's telling the Ephesians. That's what I'm telling you this morning, that Christ is in you, which means there is a power in you that is beyond anything this world has ever seen before. When somebody calls me or texts me and says, I got a cough, I'm not coming. I'm like, there's power in you. <laughs> when somebody calls me and says, we can't stop arguing, there's power in you. When somebody calls me and says, I'm not going to make it financially, the world is going to come to an end like Y2K, I'm like, there's power. Oh my God. Do you know who lives inside of you? Do you know what you are capable of? At Jericho, we talked about this. Jesus is in there and he's saying, let me loose. Let me loose on your marriage. Let me loose on your kids. Let me loose on your finances. Let me loose in your situations. There's dynamite. God says here, listen, I'm going to do this with the church. You are the church. I'm inside of you. I live inside of you. The power only works through you. Flip the switch. Let them loose. Yes. We talked about Jericho. We said, Jesus, smash. Jesus, please feel free to do whatever you want to do in my finances. Jesus, please feel free to do whatever you want to do in this relationship. Dynamite. But it's dormant. Because we're not seeing it in 3D. We're not seeing what's in us in width and length and depth and height. Many of us are still only seeing it in, in four dots. He died for me. Praise God for that. But then he came to live inside of you and empower you to do things you could never do elsewise. Right. I'm going to close with Ephesians chapter 3 in action. And so that you believe me, Isaiah, would you come and start strumming? They know it's coming to an end. 
Matter of fact, Ray, you don't even put it up there. I just want everybody to listen. Everything we learned in Ephesians chapter 3, I want to read from, from uh, Acts chapter 12. We talked about the church. We talked about who Paul is and these truths that he's sharing with, with, uh, with the Ephesians and what he's sharing with us. We talked about um, this power that we have and what God wants to do in the world through the church. The suffering that Paul is going through. Now listen to this. Acts chapter 12. Verse 1 says, About that time, Herod the king stretched out his hand to harass some of the church. He killed James, the brother of John, with the sword. And because he saw that it pleased the Jews, he proceeded further to seize Peter also. Now it was during the days of unleavened bread, so when he had arrested him, he put him in prison, delivered him to four squads of soldiers to keep him, intending to bring him before the people after Passover. Peter was therefore kept in prison, but constant prayer was offered to God for him by the church. When Herod was about to bring him out, that night Peter was sleeping, but with two chains between two soldiers and the guards before the door were keeping the prison. And behold, an angel of the Lord stood by him and a light shone around in the prison. And he struck Peter on the side and raised him up, saying, Arise quickly. His chains fell off his hands. Then the angel said to him, Gird yourself, tie your sandals. So Peter did. He said to him, Put on your garment and follow me. So he went out and followed him and did not know what was done by the angel was real. He thought he was seeing a vision. When they were past the first and the second guard post, they came to the iron gate that leads to the city, which opened to them of its own accord. They went out and went down one street, and immediately the angel departed from him. And when Peter had come to himself, he said, Now I know for certain that the Lord has sent his angel and has delivered me from the hand of Herod and from all the expectation of the Jewish people. So when he had considered this, he came to the house of Mary, the mother of John, whose surname was Mark where many were gathered together praying. That's called the church. And he asked, or excuse me, and as Peter knocked at the door of the gate, a girl named Rhoda came to answer. When she recognized Peter's voice because of her gladness, she did not open the gate. She ran in and announced that Peter stood before the gate. And they said to her, you're beside yourself. One person in the church is seeing what's really happening, and the rest of the church is telling her you don't know what you're looking at. They said to her, it's his angel. Peter continued knocking, and when they opened the door and saw him, they were astonished. Motioning to them with his hand to keep silent, he declared to them how the Lord had brought him out of the prison, and he said, go tell these things to James and to the brethren. And he departed and went to another place. Then as soon as it was day, there was no small stir among the soldiers about what had become of Peter. When Herod had searched for him and not found him, he examined the guards and commanded that they should be put to death. He went down from Judea to Caesarea and stayed there. Herod had been very angry with the people of Tyre and Sidon, but they came to him with one accord and having made Blastus the king's personal aid, their friend, they asked for peace because their country was supplied with food from the king's country. So on a set day, Herod, arrayed in royal apparel, sat on his throne and gave an oration to them. And the people kept shouting, the voice of a God and not of a man, the voice of a God and not of a man. 
Immediately an angel of the Lord struck him because he did not give glory to God. He was eaten by worms and he died. But the word of God grew and multiplied. And Barnabas and Saul, they returned to Jerusalem when they fulfilled their ministry. And they also took with them John, whose surname was Mark. What do we think the church should look like? What do we think the church should feel like? How long do we think the services should last? How much do we think we should give? What is the point of gathering together? Let's look at what happened in this chapter. Let's look at what Paul is telling the Ephesians in Ephesians chapter 3. It says here that there's a feast of unleavened bread. That's the Passover drawing us back to Moses and the Exodus, right? They come back every year to remember what God has done. That's the backdrop of this story about the church. And the church is in the foreground. What's the spiritual landscape? The governor is killing followers of the way. That's what the church looks like. The powers that be are saying, where are they? Where's James? Where's Peter? I want to get them and I want to kill them. That's, that's what church life is like for them. It's pleasing to the Jews, but they say, let's wait till after the Passover so we don't sin during the Holy Week. Think how backwards the church is. The leaders who are supposed to be leading the church are attacking the spirit-filled believers and they're saying, we want to kill them, but we don't want to be sinning, so let's wait for five, six, seven days and we'll kill them after. And we don't think the church can get backwards sometimes. The funny thing is that this is exactly what was happening when Jesus was being illegally tried, illegally led to the cross, the church is going through the exact same thing that our founder, our savior went through. And you know what? It's the same thing that the real church is going through today. Because he told us that that was what was gonna happen. What can we say about this church though in the book of Acts? They were praying. We had a prayer service this morning before church. We have a prayer service the last Friday night before, um, um, of the month. Most churches have prayer services, but they're not usually the most filled services. In the book of Acts, their brother is in prison. They don't just say, ah, I hope it works out for him. They contend. They pray. Miracles are happening. Power of God is on display. What is God saying? My church is more powerful than its oppressors. This man is the king, right? He's got all the authority, he's got all the soldiers, and you know what? I can just break shackles if I want to. Yes. I can open the door. Peter didn't even have to push the door of the gate to the city open. It just opened on its own accord, it said. That's what happens to the church. Things that don't make any sense happen to us. And how was deliverance met with by the church at first? With doubt and disbelief. I don't believe God delivered Peter. I don't believe he's standing at the door. I don't believe God's going to use the way. I don't believe this is the group of leaders. I don't believe that my life is going to continue to be changed. I don't believe that my kids can be raised here. I don't believe that everything God wants to do can be done in this context. That's what they're saying. Peter's not out there. It's just his angel. Let's get back to our church service and, and come on back in here, Rhoda. Let's pray. Rhoda's like, no, he's really there. And then when they all see Peter, there's awe. Maybe, maybe God is going to do miracles here in Mary's house. 
Mary's boy is John Mark, the unfaithful one that, that Paul says later, I don't even want anything to do with him. But they're a work in progress, like every church is a work in progress. They all begin to testify. Peter says, tell these people, Paul and, and Barnabas go out to tell more people. The church is just doing what the church is supposed to be doing. And the last thing I want to close with is, when was the enemy actually destroyed and dealt with? Was the enemy destroyed and dealt with when, when he attacked Peter? When he killed James? When he was killing his own soldiers for, for failing? Think about that for a second. The enemy was not even touched as the children of God and the church was suffering. The only time that the enemy was dealt with is when the enemy stood in the place of God and said, I want God's worship. The voice of a God and not of a man. And here's Herod saying, yeah, give me that. And that's when the Lord struck him down. If you think that the Lord is going to strike down every enemy in your life just because you are going through some difficulties, you are mistaken. That's not how it works. We are being strengthened by our enemies. We are coming to know our God more intimately because of our enemies. We are learning what it's really like to serve just like Paul did and just like Peter did and just like the first century church did because of our enemies. God will deal with his enemies when he sees fit. That's what it means to have faith is, Lord, I know what they're doing is more about you than it is about me. This is what Paul is talking about to the church in Ephesus. I can't get through a service without saying it. You can go somewhere else and they'll tell you that it's about you. Yeah. <laughs> they'll tell you <laughs> that the goal is to be as comfortable as possible, to be fed as much as possible, to be helped as much as possible. It's enough that he came and he died to save you. It's enough that he came and he died to save me. After that, we are called to be bondservants. We are called to be slaves unto Christ. We are called to understand that it ain't about us. The only way that it's about us is because we are the church to glorify him. Our job is to endure and to remain faithful. Why don't we stand? Worship team, you can come. Quick altar call, quick time of prayer and, and communion. And I'm going to release you guys. I just want to ask, is there anybody here that's not saved? This whole story of, of, of Ephesians, this whole thing that God is doing and what Paul's talking about, he goes into a crazy city, a crazy world, and he begins to tell them about Jesus. Jesus begins to knock on their hearts, the door of their hearts, and they feel it. They know something is happening. And they say, I want it. I want change. I want something different. I've been in this world and in this life too long. If I can be forgiven, if I can be saved, if I can be changed, if I can be transformed, I want that. And Paul begins to tell them about this Jesus. If you're here, it's very, very simple. The, the heavens are not going to open. Lightning is not going to strike. 99.9% .9 of people who come to Jesus, they come based on a decision that they've made. They say, you know what, Jesus, that's how I got saved. I was a couple days away from committing suicide, and I said, Jesus, if you're real, you got to be real for me. Save me and help me, and he did. 
but it's just a decision you have to make. Is there anybody here this morning? Why don't we bow our heads? Why don't we close our eyes? It's really about you and the Lord. You know if he's talking to you or not. You know if you want to be saved. You know if you need to make a decision, no matter how scary it might be. I want to encourage you that you can do it. I want to encourage you. It's not the atmosphere. It's the creator of the atmosphere who is reaching out to you this morning. He's asking you to let him love you. He's asking you to let him forgive you. He's already died. All you have to do is accept him. If that's you, would you raise your hand? Amen. I see you. I see both of you. Anybody else this morning want to join our sisters? Be saved. Make it matter. Amen. Anybody else? Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Anybody else this morning? Just raise your hand before we move on. Don't miss your moment. Let this be your moment. Anybody else? Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Lord, we thank you for our sisters. We thank you, Lord God, that you saw them. Your word said earlier in Ephesians that you've already prepared good works for us beforehand, Lord. You knew that they were going to come to face just like you knew everybody else here would. We thank you that today is their day. We ask that you would prepare them, Lord, that it's going to get harder before it gets easier. That's what your word says. That's what we see in the testimony of the church, Lord God, that they suffered, that they had to fight, that they had to battle, that they had to overcome, Lord. We believe that you now live inside of these two young women, Lord God, and that there is a dynamite power that lives inside of them, God. Oh, would you use their lives to bring yourself glory, Lord God? Change them from the inside out. Help them in every area of their life, Lord God. Meet every need, Lord, for your glory and for their good, Lord God, like only you can. We're so grateful that the rest of us get to be witnesses, Lord. We are their brothers. We are their sisters, Lord God. We're so grateful that the family is continuing to grow as you said that it would, Lord God. For the rest of us who are here, I'm going to open the altars. I'm going to pray over communion for our two young ladies. I'll ask that you would come forward, that we could pray for you in just a moment as well. But I'm going to open the altars for anything that ministered to you. I would hope that you would just take a step forward in your faith. That if you were to come, as you walk forward, just consider yourself saying, Lord, these aren't just words that I've heard. You are connecting the dots and you are allowing me to see something that I've never seen before. I want it to be real. I want to know the depths. I want to know the length. I want to know the height of your love. And that's why I'm coming forward. That's why I'm coming forward. Lord, so would you touch your sons? Would you touch your daughters? Would you meet them here at this altar as our prayer team prays with them? Would you, would you just do more of what it is that only you can do? As we receive communion, we look back, Lord. We look back on what you did for us. We look back on the sacrifices you've made for us. It's enough. We take communion to be reminded that our salvation is enough. We want to give ourselves to you as bond servants this morning. Would you bless this time of communion? Would you meet us here in this place, Lord? We love you and we thank you in the name of Jesus. Amen. Hallelujah. The the altars are open. Communion is open. You can worship. You can pray. If you come forward, we'll pray with you. Hallelujah, Lord.
for listening. The Way would love you to visit our church at 451 West Lambert Road, Suite 204 in the city of Brea. Our service times are Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. and Wednesday nights at 7 p.m. For more information, please visit our website at www.thewaybrea.com or you can download our church app by visiting your app store and searching The Way Brea. Be blessed.